Good morning. Before I get into our uh, sermon today, let's open this time in prayer. God, as we continue this journey through uh, the EMC Statement of Faith, through this document that seeks to give us a good foundation, a good sense of the pillars that are important to us as we follow you, Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be active here, that the words I speak would be honoring to you, that they would be true, that truth would be heard even when I mess up, that your Holy Spirit would be here, that we would be shaped into a community that seeks after you, that gets better and better at loving each other, uh, as well as loving our community and the world around us, and most of all, loving and honoring and glorifying you, God. Thank you that you are here with us. In your name, amen. So we are uh, continuing this journey that we started early this year uh, through our statement of faith. And ever since we started this series, I've, I've had this Sunday circled a little bit in my calendar because this is a unique week. It's going to be a first for me, and maybe it will be a first for some of you too. I have never in my time preaching preached a sermon that has been focused on this subject, because today we are talking about Satan. And Joyce texted me earlier this week, and he, she asked me for the topic so that she could pick songs. <laughs> and I told her what we were talking about, and I said, I don't know how many songs you're going to find about that. But she's done a great job, I think, focusing on songs that speak about God's faithfulness, about our security in Him, about the work that He is doing in the world, uh, beautiful songs that do set us up well uh, for this conversation. But this isn't the sort of thing that we tend to focus on on a Sunday morning. And part of me, as I was thinking about this series, asked the question to myself, do we just skip it? Is it too weird or, or too uncomfortable to address? Do we maybe lump it in with something else so that at least we don't have to spend a whole 30 minutes on it? Uh, but it's here. It's in this statement. As our church, our conference tried to figure out the core of what we believe, this made the cut. There are lots of good and valuable things that we believe, that we, that we uh, follow as Christians that aren't in here. But as we sort of drill down to the core of our beliefs, this is a part of it. It's important to our faith to have an understanding of who Satan is, of how he operates, of what his nature is, of what his future is. And so I want to honor that by spending some time today walking through a biblical understanding of Satan. Uh, but one thing as we get going here, if you are a visitor today, if you're not regular, please come again next week. <laughs> this, is not, this is not something that should be taken kind of in an isolated way. This is something that needs to be understood in the larger context uh, of our statement of faith, in the larger context of what the Bible is talking about, in the larger context of what Jesus is doing. Next week, Dion is going to be talking about article number seven in our statement of faith, which is salvation. We're going to be climbing out of the pit that we dig this week into the arms of our Savior. This isn't a great message to have as a standalone one. Uh, that said, I'm going to try not to leave you high and dry here at the end of this message. 
Uh, I, I'm going to try and find some hope in this too as we go through it. I don't want this just to be a message about darkness. I want to remind you briefly as we get into this, I kind of talked about the purpose for this series. That as we discuss these things, uh, these things I'm hoping can, first of all, prepare us to speak well and confidently about what we believe and why we believe it, that we can articulate well our faith, what's important to us. I'm hoping that this series can help us to better understand the heartbeat of, of our church and our conference. The, these lists and statements give us an important understanding of our spiritual heritage, what has been important to uh, our spiritual forefathers and mothers as they've thought about these things and processed these things. And then finally, I want this series, I pray that this series can equip and inspire us to a closer walk with God and with the people around us. That's the goal of everything that we do in church. This time we spend here is intended to draw us closer as a community of believers and closer to God. So with that said, let's get into it. I want to start by saying there's a lot that is unclear or uncertain about the devil. He's not a fully sketched out or explained character in Scripture. I talked a bit a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the fall of man, about how this serpent just shows up in Genesis out of nowhere. No explanation, no reason given as to why he's there. It's just, now the serpent was the craftiest of all creatures. And our modern eyes and brains go, wait, what? Stop. Explain this. Tell me about this. Where did the serpent come from? Why is it here? What led to it being here? What are its goals? What are its backstory? How did God allow this? And, and there are, of course, many theories and processes and wise people who have tried to answer those questions and understand what's going on. But they're tough questions. Uh, we get some hints in Scripture. There are some passages that speak about the origins of evil or the origins of uh, of the devil and demonic. And Judah talks about angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. These God has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So there were angels. There was some sort of an insurrection, a rebellion. Angels wished to seize power for themselves, and they've been thrown out of heaven, and they are facing judgment. But one of the very frustrating things about Scripture... Uh, for us at least, reading today, for me at least, I'll speak for, is that it doesn't really seem all that concerned with the origins or the nature of evil. The Bible doesn't seem to care much where evil came from, exactly how evil beings like the devils or demonic operate or work. There are many questions here, many arguments, many uncertainties about these things. I think what's true is that actually when you think about the purposes of the Bible... None of us really need to be convinced that evil exists. We can look around and we see there is evil. There is pain. There is brokenness. There is sin around us. There is something wrong with the world. That's self-evident. We look around. That's, it's, it's, it's a law of physics. Things fall apart. Things are broken. The Bible doesn't need to work very hard to convince us that evil exists. The Bible has a much larger task to convince us or to show us that good exists. That despite what it may seem around us, there is a purpose and a plan and an intention to our existence. That even though we look around and see pain or destruction, that the world is governed by a creator who is love, not hatred, 
who is light, not darkness, who is, in the truest sense of the word, good. And so maybe it's not that surprising that we don't get a clear picture of Satan. When we approach a topic like this, which is full of uncertainty and confusion, then my gut instinct is always to take a step back and to ask the questions, what do we know with certainty? What, what, what can we hang our hat on and say, this is true, this I can be certain of. It's the same sort of technique in some ways that we took with creation, and so we'll do it again here. We're going to spend some time looking at the Bible and talking about the things that we see spoken clearly about. So I'm going to start off by talking about maybe some misconceptions around Satan, things that Satan is not, and then we're going to talk a bit about what he is. So there are two ditches that we can fall into here that I want to highlight as we think about what Satan isn't. Two extremes that can lead to an unhealthy view or a destructive view uh, of Satan. The first ditch is minimizing or ignoring or trivializing the devil. I'll call this point, the devil is not a cartoon character. If you ask the average person on the street what they think of when they think of the devil, it's not unlikely that the image that they have that pops into their head is something like this. A red guy with a cape and horns, a sort of half man, half goat with a trident, a goofy, spiteful little imp that runs around poking people and trying to trick them and get them to make bad deals. The devil isn't some bedtime story boogeyman or cartoon character. There's a quote from a French poet, uh, Charles Baudelaire, that says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. There's a, there's a tendency in our age to hand wave away the idea of evil spiritual beings, including the demonic or the devil. Uh, some of that is a reaction to certain pockets of Christianity or certain periods of Christian history where everything got credited to the devil. There was a demon under every rock. Anything that went wrong, anything that caused hurt, any mental illness, any physical sickness, anything from another culture, anything that was too popular, anything that people didn't understand was the devil. And now, perhaps, the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction. You can find folks who will try and explain away every mention of the demonic in Scripture as simply a, a mental illness they didn't understand, or pagan influence and superstition. Uh, in fact, a survey in the States from 15 years ago showed that only about one quarter of Christians, and that's not just people off the street, this is people self-identifying in this survey as Christians, one quarter of Christians believe that the devil is real. That was a bit shocking to me. And that's 15 years old. I don't imagine that number has gone up in the last 15 years. So then maybe this is a controversial statement from the pulpit. Our statement of faith is clear on this. And when I read the Bible, it seems clear to me. Satan is a real being with real power and real danger. The Bible refers to him repeatedly and consistently as someone who needs to be understood and guarded against. In Ephesians 2 verse 2, Satan is referred to as the prince of the power of the air. In John 12, 31, he is called the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul says that the God of this world, that is Satan, 
has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan is real. He's a real being. He has real practical power in our world. Certainly over unbelievers, also to tempt or to trip or to persecute or distract Christians. He's been granted some level of power, of dominion in the world. But as we acknowledge that, we need to be aware of not oversteering into the other ditch. The second thing that Satan is not is Satan is not equal to God. We sometimes get this idea, this is maybe how I felt as a kid, uh, you, you think about what's going on in the spiritual world and you imagine this cosmic battle between good and evil with God on the one side and the devil on the other side, uh, duking it out, trading blows, good wins this round, evil wins that round, and so on. Another thing that the Bible makes clear over and over again is that God and Satan are not on the same level. In Job, uh, another book that is just sometimes, it makes me want to almost tear my hair out wrestling with how this doesn't answer so many of the questions that I wish that it would answer. Satan goes to heaven to visit God. A million questions right there. And the Lord says to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And then God and Satan have a conversation around Job. God says, hey, I know you've been Paying attention to this guy. Have you been paying attention to Job? Have you noticed uh, my righteous servant? See how good he is. He's a pretty great guy. And the devil says, that's only because of how good you've been to him. Let me have a piece of him. And we'll see his true colors. And so God gives Satan permission to do whatever he wants with everything around Job, but not touch the man. It turns out that's not enough. Job stays righteous. And so Satan comes back and says, I need more. Give me access to the man. Let me give him pain. Let me make his life horrible, and God approves this as well. And so again, there is so much here that we don't know. There are so many questions here that I can't answer for you. But what is clear is that Satan is underneath God. He is lower on the food chain. There are some categories of power we ascribe to God. In theological circles, there are sort of three words we use to talk about the power of God as omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. That means that he's all-powerful, that he's got complete power, that he's, all, uh, he's in all locations, he's everywhere, he's omnipresent, and that he's, he knows all, he's omniscient. Uh, those are three things that we ascribe to God. The devil is none of those things. We see that in this conversation. He doesn't have all power. He's under God's authority. He's not all places. He roams to and fro on the earth. He goes up to heaven, he goes back down to earth. He's not everywhere all at once. He's also not all-knowing. He makes a prediction. I can trip this Job guy up. Turns out he's wrong. He's got to change the rules. Try again. Wrong there too. His best guess is incorrect. Here's an important truth. God is not threatened by the devil. There's no uncertainty which way the power balance tips. God's not nervous about Satan. In fact, there's a fascinating passage in Revelation, one of the most significant passages on the nature of Satan, where Satan launches into an epic battle against the forces of good, light versus dark, the dragon and his minions against the heavenly hosts. But notice, this is in Revelation 12, verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. 
Again, lots of questions there. We think of heaven as a place untouched by evil. Here we read about a war between good and evil there. But Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, the devil, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the world astray, he was hurled to earth and his angels with him. So, is this something that happened in the past? Jesus talked about seeing Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Is this talking about the original fall of things? Is it something that's happening in the future that's being predicted by John? Is it something that's happening right now in some way? Once again, lots of things that I can't clearly answer for you. But what do we know? What do we know? When this great battle is fought, this war between light and darkness, it's not between the devil and God. That wouldn't be a fight. It's between the devil and the archangel Michael on the other side. The devil's match, in fact, the devil's defeat, comes at the hands of an angel. There's risk in ignoring or minimalizing or trivializing or hand-waving away the devil, but there's also risk in giving the devil too much credit, too much power, too much authority, too much focus. C.S. Lewis says in the Screwtape Letters, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. We must not ignore the devil's existence, but neither should we live in fear. As many statements as there are about the devil's power, his status as ruler of this world, there are reminders, constant reminders in scripture that we are no longer under his rule as followers of Christ, that we have been set free, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that the devil is limited in his power and how he can tempt us. So those are two errors to avoid I want to take a bit of time to look at what the devil is. Our statement of faith says this. We believe that Satan is a personal spirit being. There again, a created thing, a, 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 a being personal, not all powerful, not all present. A specific personal being. He heads the kingdom of all evil and opposes God in all that is holy, pure, and just. So I want to explore this a little bit with you. And the way I want to go about it today is to look at some of the different names that the Bible has for the devil. Not names exactly. Here's actually an interesting fact. The devil is never given the honor or the dignity of a name. Everything that we have for him in Scripture is either an analogy, he's a lion or he's a serpent or he's a dragon, uh, or it's sort of a title, it's a describing word. It's a, it's a piece of his character that is used to talk about him. He's never given a proper name, just these different labels or titles. There are many of them throughout Scripture. We're going to look at three of them today. We're going to start with the most common one in Scripture, which is the Satan. The Satan. Uh, Tim Mackey, who's one of the leads of the Bible Project, I'm a big fan of the Bible Project. It's a valuable resource. But he's on a bit of a mission around this to get people to stop calling Satan Satan like it's his name, and start saying what's more appropriate to the original language, which is, he's the Satan. He's the Satan. Because Satan means, does anyone know what Satan means? I'm curious. Sa the adversary, yeah. Satan means, was that you, Deanna? You're cheating. You heard me at the heritage already. <laughs> Satan means 
the adversary. And so every time you read the word Satan in Scripture, you can substitute in your head the adversary. In Job, you could read, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and the adversary also came with them. And the Lord said to the adversary, Where have you come from? You can substitute that in whenever you see Satan. Now, the simplest definition of the word adversary is one who is against. And the more I think about the nature of Satan, the more it becomes clear why this is the main title he is given in Scripture. The devil is at his core, from his very beginnings, one who is against. It's an important truth to remember. The devil is for nothing. The devil creates nothing. The devil builds or grows nothing. The devil is defined wholly and completely by what he is against. In John it says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The devil's first moments in the Garden of Eden, it's immediately about destruction, about tearing apart, about dividing. Did God really say that? Can you really trust him? He makes it sound as though he wants to help, that he wants to build. Eat the fruit and you will have knowledge. But at its core, the devil is defined only by what he is against. He is dark because he is against light. He is a murderer because he is against life. He is a destroyer because he is against creation. Every time you read Satan in scripture, read the adversary, the one who is against The second most common name, it's used when we hit the New Testament, it's a Greek name, is the devil. It's taken from the Greek, the diabolos, the accuser, or the deceiver. John 8.33 speaks of the accuser and says, when the accuser lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We talked about the lies that the serpent whispered to Eve a couple of weeks ago, the same lies he whispers to us now. Did God really say that? Can you really trust him? Are you really secure? Are you really loved? Are you really safe? He plays this horrible trick where he tries to have his cake and eat it too with us. He deceives us. He accuses. uh, He's the devil. draws us into temptation. Doesn't this look good? Doesn't this look tempting? Doesn't this look satisfying? Doesn't this look like this is going to solve the problems that you have in your life? And then, when we take that thing, he turns around and plays the other side of it. How could you? You sinner. You glutton. You failure. What sort of a horrible person would do that? What sort of a horrific person would think the things you're thinking or want the things you're wanting or do the things that you're doing? You're a wretch. He draws us into temptation, and then he heaps shame on us when we fail. He comes at it. From both sides. The devil's native language is lies. It's lies on both sides of that coin. He hates the truth and there is no truth in him. From his very beginnings in the first chapter of Genesis, the devil is the liar. So he's the accuser. He's the deceiver or the liar. He's the adversary. Uh, Another name for the devil, the last one we're going to get into today, uh, is Lucifer. The name Lucifer, which actually only shows up in the King James. 
become a popular name for the devil. Uh, but most of your translations, where the King James would say Lucifer, your translations will say the morning star uh, or the day star. And that seems like a bit of a strange name to give the devil. But it references Satan's angelic origins, for sure, speaks to the radiance and the beauty uh, that the devil has had. Again, the devil is not some horned cartoon character. He's much more subtle, much more careful than that. He presents as a thing of beauty and glory. The reference for this comes from Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. So the morning star in the sky is actually a thing. That's a thing that we can see. Uh, it's Venus. So here, I think, is going to be a picture of it. Um, can you see it there? It's just a little speck sort of down and uh, to the, uh, it's your right of the, of the moon there uh, on the slide. That is uh, the morning star. We can actually zoom in on it a little bit. There it is. That's the morning star. And it's called the day star or the morning star because it is the last light in the sky that is visible as the dawn comes. All other stars have, at this point have faded away, but the day star or the morning star clings desperately to be seen, to have power, to be noticed. I saved this one for last, by the way, because it's my favorite of the names. Is it weird to have a favorite name for the devil? Here's why. However hard it fights to be seen, however tightly it grips the little power or relevance or dominion that it has, every morning, every single day, the sun wins victory over it. It might last for 30 seconds or a minute or five minutes, but eventually it fizzles out, can't be seen or noticed. For all purposes, it ceases to exist in the full power and radiance of the sun. For me, as I've processed this, a beautiful thing that comes out of it is that every single sunrise is the reminder of God's sure triumph over evil. Whatever the night might bring, whatever morning star wants to hold on in the sky long past its time, evil will be wiped out as surely as the stars disappear from view every single morning when faced with the power of the sun. So it is with the devil and God. The statement of faith has another sentence in its description. It, it started saying, we believe Satan is a personal being. He heads the kingdom of all evil and opposes God and all that is holy, pure, and just. It continues, the destiny of Satan will be the lake of fire, which God prepared for him and his angels. The second statement comes with the longest list of scripture references for any statement in our statement of faith. 14 scripture passages which speak to the victory of Christ and the downfall of Satan. To Satan's inability to overcome what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. To the inevitability of Satan's ultimate downfall and final existence. 14 passages that speak to him tormented in a lake of fire for all eternity. That's another popular misconception we have in modern culture, which should be cleared up, by the way. Generally, if you ask people on the street, maybe even ask people in churches, who is in charge of hell? Or who runs hell? Or whose domain is hell? 
they would say, well, the devil. That's the devil's home. That's where he's in charge. That's where he can torment unbelievers. It's not true. It's not what the Bible has to say. The purpose of hell is not a place for Satan and the demonic to rule. It is the final place of torment and capture for all evil. It is the place that God has prepared for the morning star, Lucifer, just barely grasping onto power, just barely holding on to dominion over the world to finally and completely and totally be overcome. To be thrown down into a lake of fire for all eternity with God, goodness, love, fully victorious. Thank God we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves, as it says in Colossians 1.13. That Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, the accuser, as it says in Hebrews 2.14. As we go through life, be aware of the nature of Satan. He is an accuser. He is a liar. He is an adversary. His only purpose is to tear down, to divide. He's holding on to power in the world like the morning star clings to visibility as the sun begins to rise. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the sun is rising. Since the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, we are living in the dawn. We are living in these last moments, these last days, as the Bible so often talks about, where the victory has been won. And there's a star in the sky that's holding on for a little bit longer. But the sun is coming. Victory is assured. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come, God says, to bring life and life abundant. Whatever power the devil has, whatever attributes he has, the ending of this story has already been written. Thank God. Amen? Amen. Amen.